This is All In. I'm Matt Pelser. The 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index is out. It serves as a report card on how Indiana is doing regarding civic awareness and engagement, things like voter turnout, volunteering, political participation, etc. It also looks at how specific demographics like age, income level, and education factor in. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brandon Smith reported on this last week, and he joins us now. Hi, Brandon. Hey. So as it turns out, Indiana has not done well at all in voter turnout uh, the past several elections. Uh, We were 38th in the nation in 2012, which was a presidential election year, of course, and even lower in 2016, which was surprising. Was there a reason given for why people didn't vote in 2016? Uh, There's no reason. There's no single reason, I should say. Um, There's a lot of factors. And this report doesn't exactly tell you why it's low necessarily. Um, because that that is hard to measure. It varies from person to person even. Um, but one that was uh, cited by some of the people behind the report, uh, one of them being ch- former Indiana Chief Justice Randall Shepard, is, is a lack of competitive races. Uh, and that's a problem that is not unique to Indiana, but is certainly a problem in Indiana. And the reason for a lack of competitive races um, varies a little bit too. But one of them, a big one, is um, the way that Indiana's legislative districts are drawn. There are a lot of seats that, quite frankly, don't have one party or the other even running a candidate uh, in a lot of years. And when they do, it's going to be a blowout no matter what. Um, Dissatisfaction with certain candidates, even when there are candidates, uh, drives some of that low turnout. But it's a vexing problem for Indiana. I mean, you talk about – when you talk about voter turnout, voter registration, they are habitually down in Indiana. So it's not a single issue. It's not a single candidate. It's not a single year. Uh, this is a a cultural issue, I think, as much as anything else. Yeah, when you look at midterm years, uh, like last year, we've been in the bottom 10 states each time in the last several midterm elections. These yep. are these are pretty sobering numbers, and, and voter registration doesn't look great either. How have we done there? Uh, just about as badly. Um, uh, it, it's 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 pretty aligned. Um, it, one doesn't go up if the other doesn't go up, and one doesn't go down if the other doesn't go down too mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah, so like I, that, and that really gets to the issue of uh, it's a cultural problem in part, although a lot of people will point to policies um, about voter registration. Uh, for instance, if you look at states who do automatic voter registration, so when you go to get your driver's license or get a license plate or get a state ID, you are automatically registered to vote unless you say, no, do not do that. Here, they have to ask you. You have to say yes. You have to do it uh, proactively. Um, so and then in those states, voter registration is way up. Voter participation is way up. Turnout is way up. So uh, that's one thing that a lot of people say should be a fairly easy thing to do, first of all. There are technology issues with sort of other voting turnout uh, solutions that are often presented, but that's one that doesn't seem to be an impediment. Um, and, and a lot of people are frustrated that Indiana doesn't do it. Uh, now, it wasn't all bad news. Despite our poor performance when it comes to voting and voter registration, the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index says, quote, Indiana leads the nation in thoughtful examination of civic health. This was kind of surprising to me. Do you, can you explain what they mean by that? Well, one of them is the Indiana Civic Health Index. The fact that we do this every few years and we, we kind of study this, uh, we get people to engage in it, um, it, is evidence of the fact that we are paying a little more attention to it. Um, but beyond that, it, it th- there's an element to me that's almost like, okay, but yeah, our numbers are still bad in a lot of categories. So yes, we're th- 
considering it. We're being thoughtful about it. And that is sort of step one. But moving that to action is really what's more important. Uh, What about the correlations between voting participation and factors like age, level of education, and income level? This should not be surprising because it's true pretty much everywhere. Um, The more money you make, uh, the older you are, and uh, the more education you have, the more likely you are to vote, generally speaking. Um, They generally go up. Um, There are a lot of reasons for that, Uh, but that's true here in Indiana. That's true pretty much across the country. Um, It shouldn't be surprising, but it it does highlight sort of the inequity of the system where when you're talking about how do we get voter registration and turnout up, there's a lot more people in Indiana in the lower categories than the higher categories. And if people in the lower categories have the least amount of engagement, well, what are we going to do to engage those folks? And and we can't just say, well, it's their fault. They have to be more proactive. What are we doing to help make sure that they not only – can but have reasons to want to participate. And there were two recommendations that the report put out. Uh, The need for a task force to study ways to improve civic engagement in Indiana was the first one. What would that look like? So that uh, looks like it'll be set up through sort of the the groups that are behind the the Civic Health Index led by sort of the Indiana Bar Foundation, so lawyers in the state. Uh, But that would um, it, it's really in its nascent stages. It, it'll be formed, it sounds like, in early of 2020 with the goal to, to submit recommendations to the General Assembly by the end of 2020 before the 2021 legislative session that begins in January of, of 2021. And who it, who it's comprised of is really unsure right now, but it's going to be people who study this for a living, people who are part of organizations that that try to focus on voter engagement and turnout and, and civic uh, health and civic engagement, that sort of thing. But they're also looking to do statewide listening tours. So, yes, the, bo- the, the, the task force will be made up of a select group of people, but they're trying to get feedback and input and ideas from as many different people as possible in as many places as possible. So a big part of the sort of success or failure of that group will probably be how successful they are initially at garnering ideas and feedback. And the second recommendation that the report makes sets a pretty lofty goal. What is that? Yeah, that's to take us from the bottom 10 of states for voter registration and turnout into the top 10 of states for voter registration and turnout next year or like (laughs) by 2020. Um, By the election next year. Yeah, by the election next year. Uh, That's... Um, it's a lofty goal. I I think it's an unrealistic one. Um, Putting us in the top 10 of states for those categories within the next three election cycles is achievable, um, if still difficult. Uh, So, but I mean, setting that goal is is basically saying we need to turn the ship around. And maybe it won't happen by by November of 2020. But that's that's what we have to start working towards immediately. You can't you can't wait forever on this anymore. You can't say, well, we're going to work on it, and eventually, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's no. The time is now. We have to start now. I wonder how they could even <laughs> think to do that, other than other than putting out this report and and uh, trying to engage. Uh, that's that's not a lot of time. That's not nearly enough time. We're talking about less than a year until the next election. No, um, and, and I think you're going to be talking to somebody who who has an idea for how they might. Um Start I'll, to do that. I'll talk to Bill in the next couple segments about that for sure. And what, what I thought was interesting, and maybe maybe not substantive, was that voting and voter registration increases with income level, uh, like we said, 
in all but the 50,000 to 75,000 a year range, which showed slight decreases compared to the 35 to 50K range. Again, not particularly substantive, but it's almost like some people in that range are just too busy to think about this sort of thing. Uh, it's possible, though, I would suggest that, that everybody below them is particularly busy trying to figure out how to put food on the table and and, and earn enough to, to make, a li- uh, make a livable wage in this state, which below that category generally don't, um, not in any real way. So I don't think it's that. I, I think I look at those numbers and, and it doesn't look statistically significant to me to suggest that um, – it's probably about the same. It's probably equal among those groups. It's just about, yeah. And speaking of people who aren't doing too bad income-wise, uh, the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index shows the majority of Hoosiers, about 52% who make more than 75000 a year, volunteer their time for churches and charities and other organizations. Uh, interesting that they looked at that factor as well. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a measure of civic health, but it's not the only one. I don't think that you can say that somebody making $35,000 a year but votes in every election and, and, and you know, canvases for someone isn't, um, isn't engaged because they don't volunteer somewhere. It's because they don't I mean, you're talking from a place of privilege there. Mm-hmm. If you're making a lot more money, you can do you can afford literally and figuratively afford to do things like volunteer more. This is a report that is just chock full of numbers, which can be insightful. But it also makes a comment on the importance of civility. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the part where it says when we're informed and recognize our differences and similarities, we're taking the first steps toward a dialogue that's both substantive and factual while simultaneously promoting civic health. This is something that we've heard a lot since 2016 from people on both sides of the political spectrum. But I guess I was kind of surprised to see it spelled out there in black and white so directly. It, the sort of people and the sort of groups who are behind something like the Civic Health Index care particularly about civility in politics because I think they see it, and perhaps not wrongly, as um, a an impediment to greater civic engagement and voter engagement. Um, a lot of people, uh, I think they get a sense, and I don't know how much data there is to support this or how much data there could be to support this, but I think the, the general sense is that a lot of people look at politics and the political uh, rhetoric and debate in this country generally and go – Oh God, I don't want any piece of that. Mm. Like it's all it's all noise, and it's not good noise. Um, and they're turned off by it. So the more civility we have, I think the theory goes that um, it, it's just knocking down another barrier to people getting involved. Uh, though they the the folks who talked about this when they re- unveiled the report, uh, Attorney General Greg Zeller, former Attorney General Greg Zeller, and Randy Shepard that I mentioned earlier. Um, they did note that Indiana does generally a little better than that in its elections, anyway. Um, uh, they looked at they pointed to 2016 specifically and how how negative the rhetoric was at the national level and compared it to John Gregg and Eric Holcomb, the candidates for governor here, who didn't engage in any of that. And along those lines, the report also ranks Indiana second in the nation in political involvement on social media. And the report paints that as sort of a good thing. But there are probably no shortage of people who think the opposite. Why do they say that's OK? Essentially, it's it's getting you to a better starting place. So you have a bunch of people who say 
they're already thinking about these things and they're kind of engaging in a way. Whether or not that engagement is positive is harder to measure in these numbers. But essentially it starts you from a better place. And as you talk about how do we turn this, these numbers around, the voter registration and turnout numbers, how do we turn talking about it on social media into doing something about it, um, whether it's voting or, or volunteering in, in political campaigns or things like that, um, you got to reach people uh, where they are. And if they're talking about it on social media, that provides an obvious avenue to, well, let's go find them and get them involved and, and, try, and try to speak to them directly. Brandon Smith, he's our man at the State House for Indiana Public Broadcasting. Brandon, thanks for your reporting. Thank you. Up next, a discussion with one of the contributors to this year's Indiana Civic Health Index, Indianapolis attorney Bill Morrow. He's the co-founder and president of the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, Incorporated. We'll ask him why this is so important as we face down the 2020 election year. And we'll ask him how he might hit that lofty goal. I'm Matt Pelser. We're back in 90 seconds. This is all in. all in. I'm Matt Felser. Before we get to our conversation with the founder of the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, Bill Morrow, I want to tell you about yesterday's show. We talked to the producer and one of the hosts of the Fieldwork podcast about modern farming. We learned that many farmers are farming sustainably and making money doing it. We talked about some of the techniques they're using and the ways that farmers use and share big data in order to responsibly maximize yields. You can find that episode and the Fieldwork podcast wherever you get podcasts. Today, we're talking about the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index and how we measure up on things like civic literacy, voter turnout, social and political engagement, and the like. Today's show is pre-recorded, but we'd still love your comments. Are you surprised at the findings of the Civic Health Index? What efforts have you made to become a more informed and engaged citizen? Or are you simply proud to say you vote regularly? Find us on Facebook and Twitter at All In Indiana. My guest for the rest of the hour is one of the contributors to the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index. He's also the co-founder of the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, Attorney Bill Morrow. Welcome to All In. Thank you, Matt. Bill, we want to spend as much time as we can on the actual findings of this year's index and, of course, talking about indianacitizen.org. Can you tell us why this is so important to you and why you think it should be more important to more people? So this is the fourth edition of the uh, Civic Health Index. Uh, first edition came out in 2011 and then 2015, 2017, and now 2019. So off years, essentially. Right. So um, data uh, that matter uh, occur in even-numbered years, and the report comes out in odd-numbered uh, years. Need the time to crunch the numbers. That is true. And uh, so this has been a project uh, principally driven by the Indiana Bar Foundation. I have the privilege of serving on the board of the Indiana Bar Foundation. And uh, the spiritual leaders are certainly Lee Hamilton, uh, retired Congressman Lee Hamilton, uh, retired Indiana Supreme Court Chief Justice Randy Shepard, and the former Attorney General of Indiana, uh, Greg Zeller. And so um, Congressman Hamilton made it clear in the first edition um, this is probably just a snapshot. So the only way that this report will um, add any value to the civic discussion is for us to continue to do this and see whether trends are developing. According to the report, 
it's obvious that Indiana could be doing several things better. But let's start off on a positive note and talk about what we're doing right. The index shows that when it comes to our citizens reading, watching, or listening to news or information about social, political, or local issues, I'm kind of reading the text here, Indiana is eighth in the nation. So top ten, uh, aside from voting, is is that probably the best way for an average citizen to be politically involved, just simply the awareness? No doubt about it. So uh, you're talking about the uh, indicators that uh – uh, citizens are asked uh, whether they participate in certain of these uh, civic activities having to do with political involvement and community involvement. Uh, and we tend to rank, um, you know, well above the national average and in some cases uh, in the top 10. You know, and I, I think it's it's th- this data that causes some who observe the political scene in Indiana to think, whoa, don't we have a rich, vibrant political, civic culture, because it certainly feels that way. feels that way when I go to church. It feels that way when I go to work. And yet uh, there is this disconnect when it comes to Election Day. If we're doing so well on this, does that compute with the actual data when it comes to what we'll talk about later and what we've already talked about this hour with Brandon Smith, that uh, that Indiana does not do well uh, it's showing up to the polls, but we do great on keeping informed? Right, uh, you know, I, you're, you're you're trying to, I guess, uh, get an answer to the the question that no one has yet been able to figure out, and that is why there is uh, such uh, a disconnect. Um, we can accept that we need to work on it, uh, but a positive way of looking at this is that we've we've got a good start. We've at least we uh, live and work and raise our families in a state in which it seems that we have a vibrant political and civic culture. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the metrics that the index looks at regarding political involvement is posting views on social, political, and local issues on the Internet. And we're we're basically talking about social media here. Right. Number two in the country. Yeah. And that was a big surprise to me. Up from 14th the last time it was taken. When when was that? Was that 2012? 2013, yeah. 2013, okay. The Internet was a little different then. Uh, And some, though, could argue that that's not really a great thing, that there's maybe too much of that, uh, and that it's led to political and social division. Are we talking about the same thing here? Angry political memes versus real discussion? Uh, So this particular question that we're focused on, uh, and and that is a summary of the question, have you posted views on social, political, and local issues on the Internet slash social media? And the response was yes Mm -hmm. by uh, 10.5% of the people who were surveyed. So what that says is is people are talking about it, but – uh, what I'm, I guess, thinking when, when I ask the question is is some of the divisive rhetoric that's out there and some of the quote-unquote fake news and fake pages and, and, you know, the Russian interference and things like that that kind of really got its way in and people reposted. It's all too easy to do that. Um, how do we separate the constructive versus the not constructive, the helpful versus not helpful when it comes to that? Well, this survey is never going to be able to do that uh, because you've used a subjective value-laden uh, construct. Yeah. Helpful, not helpful. Yeah. Too subjective. Well, well, fair enough. But do you think that that even if something is posted uh, cathartically like that, that it still is part of the conversation? It's still helpful. It's still like, OK, so that's where that person is. Can you then as an as an engaged citizen 
engage with that person and, and try to have a real discussion? Well, yeah, as long as they identify uh, themselves, right? So one of the things that uh, certainly drives me crazy, probably does drive you crazy, is that when you go on the websites of newspapers and other uh, forms of information like that and you look down in the comment uh, section, these are fake names. These are, uh, you know, uh, uh, invented uh, you know, email addresses and handles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, that is a really uh, negative aspect of what's going on on the Internet. Uh, and when we talk about our little startup, indianacitizen.org, uh, you'll see that one of our rules is you're welcome to comment. You have to tell us who you are. Yeah, yeah that's a great rule. Yeah, and I, as a rule, don't read the comment section. <laughs> well, if you want to, if you want to torture yourself, you, you can read the comment section. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> now, along those lines, one of the things that the Indiana Civic Health Index measures is whether we frequently discuss political or social issues with friends and family. Same thing. Is that is that such a good thing? Politics is shaky ground for some families to talk about. Beats not talking about it. This is true. The reverse of that. Uh, some 20% of our fellow Hoosiers said, no, nah, we don't engage in that. Because um, it's, it's the religion and politics. It's like that, that's what you don't talk about. But you, would you argue that, no, you can and there's a right way to do it? Well, yeah. I mean, um, I guess using my own uh, family's experience as, as a guide, I, you know, I grew up in a, a household where we had rich, full, and deep conversations about the issues of the day. Uh, I'm what's called an army brat, you're right? My father was a career army officer, and the congressional record followed us wherever we went. It was the one piece of mail we could rely on showing up every day. I don't think most Hoosiers have been raised that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if I were to engage in any generalizations, however, um, I suspect that uh, when families gather around the dinner table, uh, and they talk about the events of the day, what happened at school, what happened at work, that sort of thing. Uh, what happened today in Washington or in Indianapolis gets into the conversation as well. Now, if, if former Chief Justice Shepard were here, he would say that he's been disappointed that this um, uh, version of the report left out a question that was in prior reports, which is, how often do you have dinner together as a family? Ah. And uh, Indiana has consistently ranked among the top of the states uh, in, in that measure as well. And no, no surprise there, uh, frankly. Um, I guess what would be an effective way for people, for people who are of that perspective that politics is shaky ground, we don't talk about politics as a family, what is an effective way to approach discussing politics with a family member or a friend that you know disagrees with you? Well, first of all, eliminate alcohol. <laughs> good good advice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I would say to try to uh, create a, a, an environment, you know, and the, and the parents, the adult in the room ought to play a, a role in this, is to, is to cause the conversation to turn around some issues of the day, some events uh, of the day, you know, just giving uh, a loud, shrill voice to uh, sort of a gut reaction. I'm, I'm just not sure how 
that advances the discussion at all. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think listening comes into play a lot, too. Indeed, Listening before you talk and then responding in kind to the to the tone that they're using. You can tell if they're getting agitated. You know, don't 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 push back if they are pushing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, uh, let let's get off of that topic. We barely eked into the top half of states on the measure of citizens having contacted or visited a public official. So that's good. But I think that a lot of people, especially out here in the in the polite Midwest, just think that we're bothering our our, our Congress people, or, or maybe we we wonder if contacting them will even help the cause. You've worked with people in government. Oh, indeed. Help us out. How much do our senators and representatives actually want to hear from us? Uh, they they want to hear uh, uh, from their constituents. So I have worked worked at both the federal level as a congressional staffer, and I've worked at the state level in the state house. Uh, and, and I can tell you that uh, our elected officials do want to hear from us, but they want to be sure that they are receiving, you know, genuine uh, input and comments and questions, you know, um, uh, robo mail, you know, petitions, those sorts of things. You know, uh, they find their way into the uh, staff room that's responsible for responding to constituent mail, but they don't have the effectiveness of a, um, you know, original piece, an email or a letter. Um, I tell you, the the most powerful communications come in the form of a handwritten letter. Yeah, that's something that uh, a lot of people of my generation are not used to doing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in my mid 30s and I have terrible handwriting, but I can sign something that I've that I've uh, printed off the computer. Perhaps. Well, there's that, and I mean, even initiating your own uh, email that is not uh, obviously cut and pasted, uh, you know, as as poorly drafted as it might be. For, you know, some English teacher might not not like it. It's going to have more impact on the recipient um, than something that's just automated, that's for sure. And there's something to be said about the tone of those letters, too. You're you're probably going to see more real uh, change or effectiveness in a letter that meets them where they are as opposed to just shouting into the void or shouting at them about something. No doubt about it. And, um, look, as as polarized and tribalized as we have become— whether you're um, serving at the federal or the state level, uh, there's a certain percentage of your constituency that, unfortunately, you're just going to write off. Right. And so um, they're not persuadable. So you're going to be polite and try to respond to their concern, recognizing that you're never going to be able to persuade them to your point of view. Mm. And there are some other interesting things that were measured on the index when it comes to community involvement, which, by the way, we scored in the top half of states on every single measure, top 20 for most. One of them was simply talking with or spending time with friends and family, which kind of gets back to the having dinner with your family uh, that we covered. I I find it kind of surprising that we're doing particularly well at that. If I were to guess, I'd say we're average on that measure, but we're 12th in the nation. Mm-hmm. Why is spending time with friends and family a factor in our civic health? Well, I, this is a question that has been asked for years and years, so we have longitudinal data uh, about it, so we keep asking it. But the question <laughs> is, why do we keep uh, asking it? And, and that is because I, I, I think there's the assumption that that, that, that the family unit Frequently hearing from, spending time with friends and family, 
creates the environment in which these discussions take place. Mm -hmm. So it's just being there and being socially engaged. uh, That's the starting point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not not like human interaction, right? This this question uh, is not have you exchanged, uh, you know, text messages, uh, you know, with a family member. It's frequently hear from and spend time with friends and family. Yeah. Uh, 87.7% of Hoosiers said that they do. That's really positive. It's, we're, we're, we're a good state to be in on that measure. Another thing that the report shows is that Hoosiers, by and large, have a pretty high confidence in public institutions, things like corporations, the media, public schools. What does that tell us? You know, I, I don't know what to make of that, Matt, to tell you the truth, um, except um, to, to look at it in a positive uh, light and to, and to think about our Indiana uh, culture and to think about the news that uh, we receive, I don't know, is it is it fair to say that we're a fairly scandal-free state? Uh, we, you can't say scandal-free because even the word scandal, of course, uh, is, is scandalous, is scandalous <laughs> and is subjective, right? Sure. But, you know, uh, 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 by, by and large, I think that uh, we, we as Hoosiers, we look at our government, we look at the major corporations, uh, the media – uh, and we have a high high degree of confidence that they're getting up every day to try to work in our best interests. That's a pretty good place to start. Now, even though our confidence in public institutions is high, one thing that was interesting about that measure, though, was that families whose annual income fell below 75000 yeah. um, showed decreased confidence in the media and public schools from 2012 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Do we have a hunch as to what might have caused that? So uh, if you look at if, if the so-called crosstabs, right, if you get into age uh, and, and uh, income uh, demographics, you, you, can, you can start to see, certainly you can see some trends. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I think it, it's, it should be cause for worry uh, that uh, those who are at, in, in, in a lower quartile of uh, income and just tend to have a different view uh, it seems on, like yeah. on some of these in- indicators than, than others. That that ought to be a concern. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe where that would come from, if I could, I, if I could guess uh, on it, would be that these uh, folks kind of almost feel like the system is working, but it's not working for them, perhaps. Well, right. And then there's, um, you know, not in this report, but certainly in in, in other reports, you will you will see that uh, you know folks who are economically disadvantaged, have less access to some of the information they need in order to, to form, a, to, to form an, an opinion. Okay, let's talk about where Indiana isn't doing so great. Voter registration and voter turnout. We're pretty far down in the bottom half for all of those measures going back to the 2010 midterm. And you looked at midterm and presidential election years. We had better turnout in 2012 than we did in 2016, which really surprised me. Though neither year was particularly good, we were 41st in 2016, so the bottom 10 of states. And in fact, we were in the bottom 10 for all three midterm years that, that, that we looked at, 2010, 2014, 2018. Is this problem, the issue of voting participation, the main thing you want to fix? Well, it's certainly the main thing, uh, the main challenge that our little startup organization is going to focus on in 2020. Yeah, so uh, there are two recommendations that come out of the Civic Health Index. For the first time, there are recommendations. 
And the uh, second recommendation is to try to move Indiana from the bottom 10 to the top 10 of states for turnout. Yeah. And just how does he plan to do it? We'll find out when we come back. We're talking with the founder of the bipartisan Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, Bill Morrow. How can Indiana improve voter registration and voter turnout? And how can we educate the next generation of citizens to participate in the democratic process? We're back in 90 seconds. This is All In. This is All In. I'm Matt Felser. We're back with Bill Morrow, who, along with his wife, Anne, founded the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation with the goal of moving Indiana from the bottom 10 to the top 10 of states for voter participation. Today's show is pre-recorded, and we'll pick up right where we left off. So how do we start? Uh, that's, I gather you're an optimist, uh, as am I, but from where I sit, that seems pretty pie in the sky to move from the bottom 10 to the top 10. How do you think you might do Well, that? first of all, statistically, there's more. Comp- there's a lot of compression here. Mm-hmm. So um, in a rough calculation, uh, if we were to increase turnout by 20% mm-hmm. in 2020, roughly more than a half a million more voters, uh, we have a good chance of moving from the bottom 10 to the top 10 of oh, states. Just knowing, that much would get us there. Well, just that much, a half a million new voters. That's, 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 <laughs> well, that's a big challenge. That is a big ask. Yeah. And, um, but look, uh, this will be the first time in the history of our state uh, where there's been a concerted effort on a nonpartisan basis to promote registration and turnout. Heretofore, uh, the parties and the candidates have been responsible for promoting registration and turnout. And there's no reason to be angry at the parties uh, and the candidates. Uh, the parties and the candidates get up every day trying to elect their folks to, uh, to office. Um, they have scarce uh, resources, and they need to target those resources. And so they tend to target their registration and turnout activities on those who are most likely to vote for their candidates. Yeah. So no reason to be angry about that. But there is every reason to say, okay, uh, should we uh, be satisfied with being in the top uh, or the bottom 10 of states? Uh, no, we shouldn't be satisfied in being in the bottom 10 of states. That seems to uh, – we ought to have higher aspirations than that. And 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 this uh, edition of the Civic Health Index uh, gives voice to that aspiration to move to the top 10. I would imagine one of the big challenges to increasing voting participation will be balancing these correlations of education level, income level, age, because those are the sort of factors that are universal when it comes to whether or not people vote. The older you are, the more education you have, the more money you make, the more likely you are to vote. Are there ideas out there for how to focus efforts on those more disengaged populations? Because those are the people we need to reach, it seems like. Right. So uh, there's been, oh, gosh, an enormous amount of research uh, into why people don't vote and what could motivate them to vote. Uh, and uh, the, the data that come back from that tend to differ uh, by income and uh, age uh, demographic. You know, but one of the constants across all age and economic groups is the uh, connection between issues people care about and the people they're going to elect to work on those issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, you could get yourself involved in a very, very expensive uh, communications effort to try to kind of micro-target right down to an age or income demographic when we're all Hoosiers, right? 
And in terms of the way we think about um, hitting this goal of moving from the bottom 10 to the top 10, one more vote in Rush County counts the same as one more vote in Lake County. So we're going to try to encourage more Hoosiers to register and vote without caring how they vote. Mm. And it'll be the first time in the history of our state where there's been an effort like that. Yeah. How important is that, the the fact that it's nonpartisan? Well, I, we our, our going in belief is that it will matter uh, to be able to communicate that uh, to our fellow Hoosiers that we're a group of, of, of concerned Hoosiers who are, are just worried about the health of our democracy, and that uh, getting more of us involved is a is is a is a good end, a, a, a justifiable, reasonable, important end all by itself. Because at the end of the day, the higher the turnout, the better the representation of the public uh, on the ideas of who they want, doing what, wherever they want. Right. I mean, let's look at the last uh, municipal elections. Uh, And you don't have to be a a math wizard uh, to figure out what happens in a municipal race in which 20 percent of the voting eligible population come out. And it's a very close race. Just barely over 50%. That means that municipal uh, office holder is sworn in with 10% of the voting eligible population uh, putting them there. So, you know, we salute, we, we, we accept the outcome of that, but, you know, how healthy is that? Yeah. And that occurs uh, sometimes at the statewide level as well uh, in the midterms when you have very low turnout. Uh, at less than 50% and, and a close race. That means you have a statewide office holder who's there with 25% of the voting eligible population putting them there. That's just not healthy. All right. So that's one recommendation, moving Indiana from the bottom 10 to the top 10 of states and voter uh, turnout. Uh And that's actually the second recommendation of the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index. The first one is the creation of a civic education task force. What does that mean? Well, look, uh, appropriately, this is recommendation number one. And ah, yeah. it's appropriately recommendation recommendation number one because it focuses on our future citizens. So this um, recommendation will has, has been taken up by the Indiana Bar Foundation. They'll have responsibility for convening this statewide task force with the goal of bringing recommendations back to the 2021 General Assembly. Um, this is where the where the future is literally and metaphorically. Uh, I've been to some conferences, appropriately the National Conference on Citizenship, and there's a, there's a school of thought out there among those who care about citizenship and the survival of our democracy is, you know, we got to go into the elementary schools and, and high schools, right? I mean, as you pointed out a moment ago with regard to voting behavior, you know, voting behaviors are, are pretty well formed, right? Particularly as you get older and older into my age, uh, north of uh, 60. Um, But where are our civic values being communicated? Where is our democracy being perpetuated? It's being perpetuated in the elementary and high schools uh, and and, uh, and Ivy Tech and in the colleges. And that's what this civic uh, education task force is going to focus on. You mentioned that the spiritual leader behind a lot of this is uh, retired Congressman Lee Hamilton. He's been talking about this for a long time. Is Is this better late than never? Yeah, I guess that's the way to look at it, right? It hasn't occurred yet. Uh, other states have done it, and now uh, we're going to do it. Uh, and I have every confidence that this uh, a task force is going to take its uh, work seriously. It's going to involve teachers and parents 
It's going to have statewide uh, representation. It's going to be uh, very, very uh, diverse. And what's it, it? We're in search of what is it that we uh, really need to know uh, in order to be active, uh, engaged uh, citizens, and how that finds its way uh, into the classrooms uh, and into other um, uh, forms of communication. Right. I, uh, I hope our uh, website, IndianaCitizen.org, will be a place where there will be information for parents. You know, uh, what should your uh, uh, 10th grader know by the time they're a 10th grader? Uh, and get th- those kind of conversations going on at home as well. I like the idea of breaking it down that way by, by age level, grade level, that sort of thing. Now, Illinois did something like this, the education, uh, Civic Education Task Force. They did it in 2014. They formed um, th- their own task force. How did that work for them? Well, um, according to the research I've done, it, 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 it caused, it triggered uh, a, a, a massive improvement, a, a real improvement in the curriculum uh, at both the uh, elementary and high school level. Um, now, I don't know the results, um, but I, I know that at least there was consensus that uh, there needed to be greater focus on that in the schools. Would what Illinois did be a good one to base ours off of, or are there changes that you would make? Well, you know, we we don't want to uh, replicate everything that Illinois does for uh, <laughs> obvious reasons, but there's a lot of good work that's being done uh, around the uh, country. Um, but, of course, uh, uh, each, each state uh, has and ought to have part of the curriculum devoted to the history of that state how the government of that state is organized and what are the things that we can, we can uh, look at in, in, in that regard. You know, uh, one of the programs that uh, has been so, so successful in Indiana and around the country is the We the People program. Um, the Indiana Bar Foundation has been the principal driver uh, behind that. If we, could get the Indi- if we could get the We the People program into more schools, huh, that will have a huge uh, impact. Uh, Last week, as part of the roadshow for the uh, Civic Health Index uh, rollout, we were up in Gary, and there was a We the People team from Whiting High School. And one of the one of the team uh, uh, members of the Whiting High School team says, "You know what I love about being involved in this program is I feel like I'm debating with the founding fathers," <laughs> and that sent a chill up my spine when I heard it, and it sent a chill when I just said it. Can you imagine a 10th grader saying, I'm now learning so much about the Constitution and the Constitutional Convention and the Federalist Papers and the Articles of Confederation. And when we talk about these things, I feel like I'm debating with one of the founding uh, fathers. How cool is that? Can you explain what the We the People program is for people who may may not be familiar? So the the We the People program at its core um, creates teams that compete against each other uh, in which, you know, knowledge of the Constitution uh, and knowledge of the history of the Constitution uh, is front and center. So, and, and then they're given questions to respond to it. So it's, it's, it's not just a sort of an AP civics uh, uh, course, although I should say there's a huge correlation between the kids who sign up for We the People and those who take the AP uh, government uh, test. So uh, it, it's just, particularly as a lawyer, I mean, to have these uh, young people uh, getting de- in, in, in deeply into uh, the history of our Constitution, how it works, what it says, who it affects, you know, 
what the uh, Bill of Rights is, what it does, and what the other, uh, you know, I mean, it's just really, really good stuff. And I, I should tell you that they're, uh, and this will give you the greatest cause for hope. These are not all future lawyers. Uh, most of them are, are uh, you know, not, not going to grow up to be lawyers, which will make our, our democracy even that healthier. Yeah, the future looks bright. <laughs> now, this this right here may may seem like a silly question, but are there any forces actively working against the idea of a more civically educated and engaged public? Is there any malice out there toward this idea, or is this universally accepted as the right thing to do? Indifference is the biggest um, enemy. Fair enough. Yeah. So is that um, is that something that's you know active and, and, and visible? But, you know, uh, look, we, we have discussions at the state house from time to time about what ought, ought to be in the uh, civics uh, curriculum, you know, and, um, and, and, and debates just occur because it sounds like it's sort of a top-down, unfunded uh, a mandate. So, no, is there anybody a- actively out there working against uh, an informed citizenry? No, but there's sure a lot of forces that are distracting us uh, from our responsibilities as citizens. All right, let's talk about Indiana Citizen, the moment you, I'm sure, have been waiting for. <laughs> it's a nonpartisan online voter resource platform. Listeners can look at it now at indianacitizen.org. When you log on, there's some text that basically says it's still a work in progress. What do you hope this will turn into? Well, look, if we're successful in uh, raising the resources to, to mount a, a really um, pervasive, sustained, uh, emphasized nonpartisan registration and then get out the vote uh, effort, uh, they'll be encouraged to go to indianacitizen.org because you can actually register there. You actually connect through to the Secretary of State's website in order to do that. You can confirm that you're registered. And once you do that, then you're connected with uh, information that comes back to you as you get closer and closer to uh, the election. And our hope will be that uh, as you get close to the May primary and then the uh, November general election, yeah, you'll be able to see who's going to be on your ballot. Their, their names will be there. You'll be able to click on their names and you'll be able to get all this unbiased information about the candidates uh, and the issues. Um, so this is a project in big data that I'm probably the last guy to do a, a tech startup, but here I am nevertheless. Uh, there's just a massive amount of information that we're going to try to uh, put there uh, that's not, uh, you know, from the candidate's website or from other some other biased source of information. Um, it's going to be a real heavy lift, very labor-intensive uh, for this to realize our dreams. And it's not been done anyplace else in the country. I was surprised, since I'm not the kind of guy who has original thoughts, that um, <laughs> this hadn't been done uh, elsewhere. But um, if we're successful, uh, we'll be the first of our kind, and I hope we're going to build this in a way that uh, the other states can make use of it as well. Sounds it like could be the biggest, most important voter empowerment tool ever created. And what we're basically talking about here, though, is engaging with people who aren't interested in being part of the process, maybe, because those are the people who need to vote. You know, look, Matt, if you go on uh, on our website and click on the About button and you look at who our uh, founding funders are, every one of them is already an active, engaged, knowledgeable voter. They're engaged in an act of pure civic philanthropy. They are helping build something they don't need and probably will never use. 
to try to create this island of information in these swirling seas of all the stuff that's flying around uh, these days that will permit uh, Hoosiers who've been heretofore disconnected to have a place they can come back to before they cast their ballot and have some certainty that the information that they're getting about the candidates is honest and unbiased. Uh, you're retiring from Barnes and Thornburg, the Indianapolis law firm where you work. Uh, at the end of this year, you and your wife Anne formed this organization, and uh, you're going to focus on it full time after you retire. I'm in my mid 30s, and when I think about retirement, I think about anything but work. <laughs> uh, and and you're talking about uh, the lofty goal of moving Indiana from the bottom ten to the top ten of states for voter turnout. And you're going to have your hands full. Uh, are you looking forward to that challenge? Well, I am. I've, uh, in the last few months, uh, figured out what a big challenge it uh, it, it is. Uh, you didn't know my dad, but uh, when he died at uh, 89, he'd only been really retired for a couple of years. He ran for uh, elective office at age 83. So Whoa. if he were sitting here, he'd say, Bill, you're only 67. What are you going to do for the next 20 years? There, so, there's, uh, there's a right, good... there, so spoiling grandchildren, doing a little bit of travel. And then um, we want to give back to some, uh, something to the state of Indiana because our older daughter is raising our two grandsons here, and that's what this project's all about. Yeah, turning them into a nice, uh, informed citizen, an engaged citizen, to be sure. Bill Morrow is a contributor to the 2019 Indiana Civic Health Index, which you can read. It's a quick read, around 20 pages. You can find it at the Indiana Bar Foundation website, inbf.org. He's also the co-founder of the Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, which is at indianacitizen.org. Bill, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for your time. Thanks, man. Thanks very much. Our producers are Drew Dodlin and Maggie Gaylon. Scott Cameron is our managing editor. Our show is engineered by Adam Gross and Chris Flood. If you'd like a podcast of this show or any past show, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you always know what we're up to. Join us tomorrow when we'll talk Thanksgiving. Indiana is a top five turkey-producing state, and we're also home to some of the best pie in the world. And how do you talk to family you don't see very often? Join us at this time tomorrow for that conversation just before you leave work early. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at All In Indiana. I'm Matt Pelser. Thanks for listening. This is All In. All In.